The focus of the fourth parak of Shavuos is the third out of four types of Shavuamida which the Masechta has talked about, namely Shavuos when somebody asks another person who he knows witnessed a particular event, a particular transfer of money, for example, that he witnessed him lending money to somebody else, and he asks that witness to come to Bastin in order to testify on his behalf. And the witnesses falsely swear that they didn't actually witness the giving over of the, of the money, whatever the case may be. That is the classic case of Shwas Eidos, and the Mishnah indeed elaborates on the classic case, Shwas Eidos Ketzad. How does the Shwas Eidos work? Amal Ishlaim, if somebody says to two people, whenever witnesses are required in Bastin, we always require two of them. So he tells these two people, come and testify on my behalf, and they reply, we swear that we don't know any testimony for you. We are not actually witnesses. Or if they told him, we don't know any testimony regarding your case. He says to them, I want you to make a shavua about that. I make you swear about that. Omru Omein, and they said the word Omein. We already saw at the beginning of the parak that when one says Omein to the other person's demand for a shavua, that in itself is considered to be as if he himself made the shavua. And therefore, in both of these cases, Hayul Chayovin, those witnesses would be liable to the punishments which apply to Shuasaidos. The punishment which we saw in the previous Mishnah is a carbon Oilevayoyed, as long as they intended to lie. Now we saw in the first mission of this parak a machleks between the Chachomim and Rabbi Meir whether the laws of Shavuos Eidos apply even outside of Bastin. We learned that essentially there are two ways for there to be a Shavuos Eidos. One is if the witness himself makes the Shavua, or at least he says Omein, like in the example which the mission just gave. And regarding that, there is an argument between the Chachomim and Rabbi Meir whether that applies only inside of Bastin or even outside of Bastin. We'll assume for now that this Mishnah goes according to the opinion that it only applies inside of Bastin. Alright, and we also learned that there's another way to be liable to the common of Yorid for Shavuos Eidos, and that is if the person asks them to testify for him, and he says, I'm, I'm, I'm making you swear that you don't know testimony regarding my case, and they don't answer Amen, but they say, they repeat their claim. They repeat the fact that they say that we don't know anything regarding this case. In that case, everybody agrees that that only applies inside of Bastin, because they themselves didn't say the Shavua. So that claim of theirs, that false claim, only has meaning and implication if it is stated inside of Bastin. But yeah, as it may, the Mishnah says, The person who wanted these two people to give testimony for him, he told them, I want you to swear that you don't know testimony regarding my case. And he told this to them five times. And they kept quiet. So it's not really clear when they kept quiet, did they intend to agree with the Shavua? Because they didn't protest, they didn't say anything against it. Or do they not accept the Shavua upon themselves? Says Mishnah, If they came to Basin after that, and they admitted that they had lied, and really they do know testimony, in that case, Peturin will be exempt, because they never made any claim at all inside of Bastin, which was false. But what happens if Kofru, if they came to Bastin and denied it, they carried on lying? Even if they themselves didn't say the Shavua, we already mentioned that the liability for Shavua Saedos is even if you don't yourself make a Shavua, but the other person asks you to make a Shavua, and you repeat your false claim. So that's what they've done just now. And it's learned from Pesukim that corresponding to the number of times the other person demanded that they make a shavua, and they kept quiet. 
when they make that false claim again in Basin at the end, they'll be liable for every single one of the demands to make a Shavuah. Alright, now what happens if If the person told these people he demanded from these two witnesses an oath inside of Basin, and he asked for this five times inside of Basin, and then the Kofru, they continued to deny that they are actually witnesses, and this is whether they denied it after every single time he demanded a Shavua, or even if they only repeated their false claim at the end after he demanded it five times. They are only liable to one Korban Olivyoyed. On Rabbi Shimon Matam, said Rabbi Shimon, what's the reason for this? Since they are not able to go back and admit it. Meaning, there is a rule in Bastin, which is known as Kelan Shehigid Shuvein Chayzer Magid. It's learned from Pesukim that once a witness has testified or has made a particular claim in Bastin, he can't change his claim to something else. And he also can't repeat his claim. Once he's made his claim, anything else he'll say later on has no implication. And Rabbi Shimon is telling us that this same law applies regarding the witnesses claiming that they cannot testify. And because of that, certainly in a case where they said their false claim after each of the Shavuos, so after the first time they said their false claim, that's it, we don't care about anything else they'll say after that. But even in a case where he demanded a Shavuah five times, and only at the end, the witnesses made their false claim again. In this case, we don't make them liable for everything else that happened, meaning for every single demand of the Shavuah, like in the previous case. Because over here, all of the claims made against him were in Basin. And when he was quiet, we're not sure when the witnesses are quiet, whether they mean to agree with the Shavuah, to accept upon themselves the Shavuah, to continue their denial, or perhaps not. Their silence is no indication of accepting the Shavuah and continuing to deny the fact that they are witnesses. But whichever way you look at it, he'll only be liable once. If you view the fact that he was silent as a continuation of his false claim, so that itself is a claim, and as soon as he's quiet after the first demand of a Shavuah, that's as if he's said his false claim, and that's it. Anything else that happens after that is is irrelevant. On the other hand, if you view his silence not as a continuation of his denial and false claim, so then he didn't do anything until he actually denied it. When he actually said the the false claim out loud to Basin, and then he would only be liable for that at the end. The point of this mission is to teach that one is only liable to Shavuah Sa'edus in a case where if he would have given testimony, that is the thing which would have caused the person they're testifying about to gain money. And as a result of them not testifying, they're causing him to lose out on that money. Now that includes two things. That means firstly they have to be valid witnesses. If they're invalid witnesses, then anyway, even if they would have testified, they wouldn't have allowed that person to collect the money which he should be getting. In addition to that, it also means that if there were other witnesses who would anyway allow this person to collect his money, so the fact that these people weren't testifying and they were denying the fact that they were witnesses is not really so significant, because even if even without their testimony, the person would have been able to get his money because of the other witnesses. And therefore, their false claim is not viewed as something which is taking away the money of the other person and causing him that loss. So it begins the mission of Kofrushen Ka'achas, if the, both of the two witnesses who the person demanded a shavua from them, they both repeated their false claim and continued to deny being witnesses, and they did it at the same time. Now, obviously, they don't need to speak at exactly the same time, but it means that immediately after one of them finished speaking, the other one began speaking. 
as long as it's, as long as it's within Toichide Dibor, a second or two since the other person spoke, it's considered to have happened as one continuous thing, as if it was at the same time. In such a case, Shneim Chayovin, both of the witnesses would be liable for Shuasa Eidos, made falsely. However, if they make their claims, their false claims, one after the other, meaning one of them makes a claim, they wait a few seconds, and only after that does the second witness make his false claim. The first one is liable, because at the time that he made his false claim, he was one of the two witnesses who were necessary for this person to be able to collect his money. So he is causing the person not to be able to collect his money. However, once he has given his denial, there's now only one witness left. Now, one witness is not enough to allow somebody to collect the money. You always require two witnesses. And that means that Vasheni Potter, the second one, is going to be exempt because at the time that he made his false claim, even if he would have given testimony, it wouldn't have helped him collect the money. If one of them made the false claim, he denied being a witness, and the other one admitted that he is a witness, then obviously Akefer Chayev, the one who denied it, will be liable. Now it's quite obvious what did the Mishnah add over here, and therefore the Gemara explains that we're talking about a case where originally they both denied being witnesses, like in the first case of the Mishnah, just that immediately after one of them denied, he retracted and he said that actually no, I admit to being a witness. So since he retracted from what he said immediately after he finished, immediately after he finished speaking, so the retraction is valid, and therefore he would not be liable for making a Shavasa'edus falsely. What happens if there were two pairs of witnesses, and the person who wanted them to testify, he asked both pairs of witnesses to make a Shavuot that they don't actually know testimony regarding his case. Kofar if the first pair, both of the people in the first pair, falsely claim that they are not witnesses, and then the second pair make their denial, they make their false claim, both pairs of witnesses are liable. Since the testimony is able to be established by both of them. Now the truth is, the way that we read the case of the Mishnah, the simple reading of the case of the Mishnah, this law is not actually true. Because at the time that the first people denied being witnesses, that is not viewed as them causing a loss to the person, causing him not to be able to collect his money. Because when they made their false claims, there's still another pair of witnesses who are available for the person to be able to collect his money via their testimony. And therefore in the simple case which you read, the first pair of witnesses would actually be exempt. The Gemara explains we're talking about a case where at the time that the first pair of witnesses made their false claim, the second pair of witnesses were actually false witnesses. And therefore really the first pair were the only ones who would, be able, who would allow the person to collect his money. And therefore they're liable. And only after they made their false claim, then the second pair of witnesses became valid witnesses. And that's why when they make their false claim, they also become liable. Now, what would be such a case? The answer is, it could be that they're related to the person involved, the person trying to make them make uh, be, be witnesses. If the witnesses are related to him, then they are invalid witnesses. So it could be if they are related via marriage, for example, if it's his son-in-law or something, and the son-in-law's wife dies after the first pair made their false claim, so then that would be the case of our Mishnah, where at the time that the first pair made their false claim, they were the only ones who were able, who, who, the, who were the valid witnesses to allow this person to collect his money. But after their false claim, other people became valid witnesses, and they made their claim, and of course they'll also be liable.
Mishnah, hey, what happens if the person who is trying to make the witness come to testify for him, he demands a Shavua from him, but for multiple things. He says, you are a witness for me regarding a loan and also the fact that someone stole from me. All sorts of things. He says that I am demanding a Shavua from you. If you don't come to give testimony on my, on my behalf. That I have in the possession of somebody else. He owes me a deposit. I gave him something to look after. Or a loan. Literally means something which is placed in the hand. It means that it's given over to the other person for him to be able to use. So either a deposit or a loan, the gozel, a theft, I claim that you are a witness that somebody stole something from me. The avedo, you're a witness that somebody picked up the item which I lost and he needs to give it back to me. It is my item. And the witness or the two witnesses reply, We make an oath that we don't know testimony regarding your case, that we are not, a, we are not witnesses. So in terms of their claim, they only made one false claim. They referred to all of the cases which the other person talked about, but their denial and their false claim, which came with a Shavua, was all-inclusive and it was only one statement. And therefore, in Echayim al-Achas, they would only be liable to one Korban Olav However, if they stated, We swear that we don't know testimony regarding your case, that the other person has in his possession your pekada in your deposit, your loan, the gazel, the item which was stolen from you, the aveda, the item which you lost. Here, they themselves specified all of these things. And that means that they said an oath on all of the things separately. So they would be liable to a carbon for each one of the things which they stated in their shavuah. On a similar note, if the person says to the witnesses, I demand a Shavua from you, if you don't come to give testimony regarding my case, that somebody has in his possession belonging to me, in a deposit, of he has my wheat, my barley, and my spelt. I gave all of those things to him to look after for me. And I need witnesses to prove that it belongs to me. And they reply, We swear that we don't know testimony regarding your case. Again, since they said it as one statement, they are only liable once. They'll be liable to bring one current only aid. However, if they said, We swear that we don't know testimony regarding your case. That that other person is holding in his possession your wheat, barley, and spelt. So again, he specified all of the things separately in his Shavua, and therefore, he would be liable for each and every one which he specified. Mishnah the law is that one is only liable for Shavua Eidos if he's causing that person to lose money. Meaning, that person wants to collect money from somebody else, and you are the witness who is able to testify for him and to allow him to collect that money. And by not doing so, you're causing him a loss. It follows, therefore, that if the person is trying to collect a fine from somebody else, for example, let's say the law is when somebody steals, let's say Ruven steals from Shimon, he needs to pay back the item, plus there's a fine, and he needs to pay back the value of the item as well. So he ends up paying back double the value which he stole. Now that extra bit above the value of the actual item, if he wouldn't give that to the person he stole from, the person he stole from wouldn't lose out. He's not gaining money. Rather, the thief has a punishment, he has a fine, that he needs to pay that, and he pays it to the person he stole from. And because of this, if the Shavuasa Eidos is regarding a fine, then he wouldn't be liable, because it's not viewed as him causing a loss of money, 
to the person that he's not testifying for. He's not allowing him to collect extra money. Okay, but he's not losing out on money. So the mission says, If the person tells the witness, I demand a shvur from you, if you don't come and give testimony for me, that somebody owes me money for having caused damage to my property, let's say. Or if that person's animal caused damage to my property, to my possessions, he owes me money for the damage. Or he owes me money for half of the damage. There are certain cases where the Torah obligates the person who's responsible for the damage to pay only for half of it. Even though in most cases that's actually a fine, there are particular cases where it's not a fine. And we're talking about that case. Tashlumi Kefel, or he claims that somebody stole from him and that he owes him double the, val- double the payment. So even though the part of the double, the extra above the value of the actual item, that is a fine. However, included in it is also the value of the actual item. Or a thief who steals something, if he steals an ox or a sheep, and he then slaughters or sells the ox or sheep, the law is that he has a fine of not just paying back double, but paying back four or five times the value of the animal which he stole. But again, since included in that is the actual value of the animal, so this would be included in the laws of Shuasa Eidos, or if he claims Vishonas Ishplonius Biti, he claims that somebody forced my daughter to have relations with him, Ufitois Biti, or he seduced my daughter, he convinced her to have relations with him. In both of these cases, that person owes the girl's father money and compensation for the loss which he caused. Vishekani Bini, or if he claims that my son hit me and he caused me an injury, the son owes him money. The point of the Mishnah is that if the son hit him and, claw- and caused blood to come out, then the son wouldn't owe him money because of the rule of Kim Lebe That if somebody does something for which he is liable to a more severe punishment, then he doesn't need to pay money. If a son hits his father and causes blood to come out, he's liable to the death penalty. And so he wouldn't owe him money. But since we're talking about a case where he didn't cause blood to come out, so he would actually owe him money. Or if he claims that somebody injured me, so he owes me compensation. Or that somebody set fire to my stack of grain on Yom Kippur. The point of the Mishnah is that even though the punishment for violating Yom Kippur in that way is kores, so there is a more, a more severe punishment, Nevertheless, the rule of Kinnujamine only applies to a more severe punishment which is given by Bastin. If it's, for example, a death penalty from the Bastin. But Yom Kippur, the punishment is Kores, and therefore the rule of Kinnujamine wouldn't apply. And because of that, the person would owe him money. And therefore it's just another example of Shvuasa Eidos, where you're causing the person not to receive money, which is the actual value of his loss. And therefore, in all of these cases, the witnesses who made their false claim and the Shavua would be liable to a coronary for having made the Shavua so aid us falsely.